Blog Talk Radio. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice. Hi, welcome to the Kudzu Vine for October 16th, 2022. I'm your host, David McLaughlin. Joining me as always, welcome back, Catherine Smith. Greetings from Atlanta. And welcome, Tim Shifflett. Good evening, sir. All right, good to have the team all back in full strength. And, Catherine, since you were on special assignment in Arkansas, and Arkansas is a state we hadn't uh, discussed much other than what a compelling candidate Chris Jones is, did you see anything political while you were out there? I saw a lot of Chris Jones signs, as a matter of fact. Um, We were in uh, Eureka Springs, which is a little – it's a tourist town, but it's also an arts colony – very, it's like a little blue dot in the middle of Arkansas. Uh, we happened to be there. I went for a wedding, which was Monday. We arrived on Saturday. And uh, it turned out that there was also a bikers and barbecue festival there that weekend. So there were a lot of motorcycles. But we, it's a, you know, blue dot. There were a lot of campaign signs, all for Democrats. Yeah, During our time in Arkansas, um, I, saw, I saw two Sarah Huckabee Sanders signs. So I didn't do anything yeah. political, but I saw a lot, of, a lot of signs, and they were mostly all Democrats. Yeah, and I guess there's two explanations <laughs> for that. That One, uh, I'm talking about the, the lack of Sarah Huckabee Sanders signs. One, it could be that people think, oh, she's so safe, why bother? Or it's that even though Paul may vote for her because it is such a Republican state, she doesn't have a lot of affinity to where people you know, go out of their way and put her sign up um, on a personal basis. I so, don't think it was who that. Knows? I think it was just where, where we were located. Yeah, maybe. Um, interesting. Well, good to have you back, and, and that was our uh, brief Arkansas report. So anytime we go somewhere, it's it's just the best way to really learn about a place is to actually visit there and, and see the people. Um, well, let's get back into Georgia because we had a highly anticipated debate, and that could have even been a problem since debate was not a true debate. It was a um, you know get the questions and kind of like a test um, event that was hosted in Savannah between. Uh, Reverend Senator Raphael Warnock and Herschel Walker. And Tim, um, because I was out and about seeing things political, incidentally, I didn't see the debate live, but I've read and and seen clips since then. But I think you watched the whole thing in its entirety. Um, What were some of your takeaways? Well, um, Walker's plan in this debate, or, or, or what he was doing, was similar to what Donald Trump um, did with Joe Biden 
when he was just interrupting, talking over him, uh, insisting to get the last word on practically every topic. Um, and, and it seemed to be working for quite a while. I actually thought that Walker was uh, was winning the debate. Uh, he was aggressive. Um, he, he was on the attack. And he, he was pretty much controlling what was going on. Uh, uh, and, and then he pulled the badge. And um, <laughs> it kind of went downhill into what we kind of figured it might be after that. Um, Most people, of course, did not see the debate, and and that thing with the badge is going to be their chief exposure to it, and that's what they'll all remember. It's all over the news, as y'all know, and all over the Internet, and people are having some real fun with the memes. I thought Walker was... Uh, Warnock, excuse me, was a little bit too reserved. He he had chances to really pummel Walker, and he chose not to take them. He was uh, he he was very careful, and he you know I, I've got to admit he he did avoid answering some controversial questions, and of course both of them did that. That happens in debates. Um, and and by the way, and Walker, as expected, responded a couple of times with some, shall we charitably say, head uh, scratching replies, such as uh, when he was asked about if he supported caps on insulin, he went into a tirade about how people needed to eat right, um, <laughs> that sort of thing. So, uh, you know, I don't, you know. It was the typical debate. I don't think any minds were changed. I don't think that uh, uh, Herschel Walker or Reverend Warnock lost any voters. I don't think they gained any either. So, you know, being that Herschel Walker's running a little behind, we'd have to say advantage Warnock. Yeah, I guess that device really didn't help for people with type A diabetes on type B by diabetes. Maybe he's right, so I'll get in my time machine and go back 25 years and, and take that advice under advisement uh, would be what a lot of people would say um, because once you're to insulin, it's not like, um, you know, you can just magically change your diet change your diet, and then um, erase years of, of habits. I mean, by the way, I thought the Republican Party didn't want to be the nanny state until people had to eat, um, so I'm kind of vexed <laughs> by that. Uh, Catherine, you said I think the first time we talked about how this debate was unfolding that the the um, expectations for Herschel Walker were as low as any candidate ever could be. How much did you think that figured into what actually happened on Friday night? Well, I did watch the entire thing as well, and my takeaway I, I, I came away with two distinct. Um, senses. Number one, it was ridiculous. The questions are the questions were bad. The timing is bad. <coughs> we have very serious problems in this country and they can't be answered in 60 seconds. And the and the way they framed the questions was really horrible. 
I mean, I was tempted to turn it off a couple of times. <laughs> so the basic framework is is um, not good. And I, if I were a candidate, I would refuse to do it after seeing that. Um, I do think that uh, Herschel Walker came off a little bit better than I expected him to. But he's still such a flawed candidate. I mean, there were a couple times when he didn't even know really what the topic of the question was and just started rambling. And then the pulling out of the badge and the glasses and the the whole thing was, um, it was embarrassing, I thought. <coughs> Excuse me, I have a tickle in my throat. Um, but I think that it was evidence that these these debates are useless and any candidate I I would not uh, criticize any candidate who refused to do them and and you're talking about the next star format not uh, Atlanta Press Club Loudermilk series you're talking about the way next star set it up I guess but even even so um I mean, you know, they 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 kind of went after. I thought they went after. I mean, I'm I'm biased, but I thought they went after Warnock a little tougher than they did uh, Walker, especially on the family stuff. Um, but even so, it's just not a very um, uh, helpful format. And maybe the Atlanta Press Club is better. We'd have to have to look at that. I'll watch it, but I don't know. I was uh, I was pretty disgusted by it. Um, the the format and the way the questions were answered were asked, as well as um, Herschel Walker's performance. I think Warnock is just a little stiff in the in this environment. I I think he's um, I. I but he answered the questions well. He's just not as – doesn't seem – which is odd, being a, a minister. It just seems strange that he's not more comfortable in that um, in that arena. But it's different, obviously, than preaching. But Yes. I'll tell you what. We'll set the, the debate format aside because that's a great discussion we can have. After the election at some point when we need some content because debates are a valuable tool, and I just don't think Nexstar was the people to handle this. They're just not good at it, um, but we can set that aside for a while. Now, the, the, I think a lot of people criticize not just in this debate but in, in general that Raphael Warnock is not combative, and they want to see him be more compa- combative you know, in this campaign, but I'll say – you know, when Kelly Leffler, one of her attacks she tried to attack Raphael Warnock was that she tried to tie him to Jeremiah Wright, and she tried to compare him to Jeremiah Wright, somebody who probably is a lot more combative than Raphael Warnock. And that attack never stuck in any way, shape, or form because Raphael Warnock is just a different individual. And so while his style of not being combative helps him in a lot of ways. It might hurt him at times in a thing like this debate, but 
you got to take the good with the bad. And I think all things considered, the not combative style where people see him as friendly and are not afraid of him is by far a net positive, even if it doesn't come through in this debate format. Um, Let's talk about the badge. Do y'all think that Herschel Walker's campaign advisors, which probably, I guess, deserve the most credit here because, you know, if it was a three-act play, they pumped his lines in for act one beautifully, and he remembered his lines, and they actually, you know, out-negotiated to get this debate format where he could be fed the questions and he could have a cheat sheet in front of him. And so the Walker campaign, um, you know, probably won the day in that, but the badge. Do you all think they signed off on him pulling out that badge? Do you think they knew about it, or do you think he just you know, told me he was going to do it? They're like, no, 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 and he just did it anyway, or it was just a total surprise to everyone? Tim, what do you think? Well, considering the fact that Herschel Walker surprises everyone by saying they're doing something at every public event that he has, including his campaign. You know some of that stuff he said uh, on the campaign trail. They didn't have a clue that was coming. Nobody fed him the lines, for instance, about bad air going to China or why (laughs) there's so many apes around. So I think Walker just had it in his head to do that at some point in that debate because he thought it would be cute. Obviously, he planned to do it because he had it on him. Otherwise, I don't think he would have even had it with him. And he did it right after Warnock's terrific attack line, the best one he had all night, which he said, you know, I've never pretended to be a police officer or called him threatening to have a shootout with him. That's when he pulled the badge out and, you know, uh, mumbled something about, I worked the police or, or something. And, and then for the next 30 seconds, the uh, one, one of the uh, announcers on the debate there, the, the lady from um, the, the TV station in Savannah, was just all over him about violating the rules on props and this and that and the other. He tried to take it up with her. She made him put it up, and, it, you know, it, it like I said, we know that things like that don't have huge viewing audiences. On a Friday night at 7 o'clock in the state of Georgia, high school football, people going out, yeah. this or that, or the other, and uh, all people are going to, know about that debate or recall of that debate is that very thing and 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 the, and the fact that walker survived the debate he didn't hurl on himself or fall down flat of his face or something like that but but that's about it that that oh boy <laughs> oh it sounds like the teacher had to be like herschel play put away your toy we're trying to have class yeah, here. Pretty much. What do you think is going to be the main takeaway, the badge or something else? 
up the badge, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, that's all they're the talking the about day, anywhere on. Yeah. Yeah, because it was memeable. I mean, and that's what you want to avoid. That's why I wonder, since the Walkers, you know, campaign team had won so many things here, the concessions with the debate group, um, and, and then getting the Warnock campaign to, to agree to it, you know, feeding him his lines. You know, he, he delivered the line. You know, when Raphael Warnock said about, you know, there's the, uh, the, um, the medical room's not big enough for anybody but the doctor and a woman, um, and then he mentions the baby. He threw that line in there. He remembers all these lines, but then the badge, he gave away something there that now will get remembered because it was a crazy time. I, once again, you would think this next star outfit would have wanted to at least have it, you know, on a day in which it would get more audience because Friday night is one of the lowest rated TV viewing nights any time of year. And then Tim's absolutely right. You put it up against high school football, yeah. particularly in a lot of the um, smaller areas of the state. And that makes it even tougher, um, you know, viewing audience, if you will. So now, here's the big question. Now, Catherine, I'll go to, you, go to you first with this one. Does this debate have any impact on the race itself? I don't think so. I think Tim said it right. I don't think it changed anybody's minds. Yeah. I mean, Tim, you said it didn't change anybody's mind. This race has been anywhere from 3 to 11 a point, 3 to 11 points recently. I think 5 and 6 is a common number. But that was right after the negative stories on Herschel Walker came out. What do you think? That, what do you think this does to impact the race? I don't think it does anything to impact the race. It's too close to time to vote. I mean, we start really voting in earnest. I'm going to vote tomorrow. You know, I mean, people people are really starting to vote now, and people really have already made their minds up. There were very, very, very few undecided, probably four, five, six percent to begin with. People made up their mind early about this particular race, and it all comes down to turnout now. And if if the, the pundits were correct, that that, you know, one out of every eight to 12 people that are voting for Kemp also vote for Warnock. That's the thing to look for here. I don't see how Herschel Walker could have possibly added to his vote total with that performance the other night. I don't think he lost yeah, any, but I don't think he gained any. Yeah, the only way I think that he netted something out of that is maybe some people that were just so embarrassed by him, um, and, and they just overlook the badge thing, but they say, oh, well, you know, I'm not too embarrassed to vote for him. Um, you, you know, anybody that's really thinking, you know, hardcore about this thing and really logically David, looking at it like a job interview, it's hard to get yeah, an Archer Walker vote with that process. David, you, you, you and Catherine <laughs> and I also, that if you pull out a cadaver and put a red MAGA hat on their head and run them for something in Georgia – they're going to get 45% of the vote from the get-go. We know that. And, and, and Herschel Walker's going to get that, too. 
And in most other states, that would be laughable, but not this one, right? Yeah, that's that's kind of the sad state of affairs in our state and many others. You could pull out mm-hmm. a cadaver and put a red hat on it, and it'd get 45% of the vote. You could pull out a cadaver, put, put a blue hat, and it'd get 45% of the vote. And that 10% in between gets all the decision-making yeah. power, the, and a lot the of that 10% – this cares far less than the other yeah, two forty five percent groups. But I, which is so ironic. Here's the difference. If I was a Republican, I would not vote for Herschel Walker. I wouldn't do it. There's no way I would do it because I'd put my country above my party. Yeah. Well here's here's I think the difference and I'm gonna give us the difference we uh switch over to our guest, and that is I think in recent cycles in our primary process, we're doing a better job vetting candidates than they are, and that's the biggest difference. Somebody like a Herschel Walker doesn't make it through our primary process the same way. And there's some more folks like that in Arizona, and we're going to talk to our guest right now, welcome him back in for at least a third time from the Copper State, John Ryder. Welcome, John. Oh, good afternoon. Good evening. Yes, and we know for you it is afternoon, 4 o'clock time for you. It's a little evening here for us in, in Georgia, but we're glad to um, talk to our, our brother from the other swingiest swing state in the country because <laughs> I have heard so many times in the past two years, Georgia and Arizona, like it's just two peas in a pod. And I don't think in any time in American history anybody considered Georgia and Arizona two peas in the pod. Oh, that could be. I, I think we're uh, you're a bookend on the East Coast. We're a bookend uh, in the Southwest. So, yeah, I think uh, it's, it may surprise many, but uh, for those of us who have been involved in politics for a few years, I think we've we've seen the trend going the way it has. Yes. Well, let's get into some of that. Um, and I just I'm going to start off a little different. I'm going to save the hardcore governor's race for Catherine and Senate race for Tim. But I was going to ask you just a question about another individual because I looked at an article on um, the Arizona News website, and it talked about Kirsten Cinema is not going to get involved in this campaign, according to the article, in any substantial way for either Mark Kelly or Katie Hobbs. Are you hearing and seeing the same thing in the state? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would say Kirsten, uh, Senator Cinema, has been um, uh, notably quiet uh, this cycle in terms of uh, voting, and that's probably a good thing. Um, you know, her, her her favorability among uh, among Democrats is not uh, nearly as high as it, it once was. So I think um, I think both Senator Kelly and uh, Secretary Hobbs running for governor. Probably are happy that Kirsten Cinema is um, uh, staying relatively quiet this cycle. Yes. Well, without getting too much into the meat of those races, but she had a good relationship with Mark Kelly. Um, you can correct me if I'm wrong, and then I have no clue if she has any kind of relationship with Katie Hobbs. What's your take on her personal relationship with both those candidates? Oh well, I believe I believe Senator Cinema has known uh, Secretary Hobbs for quite a number of years. You know, they both served in the legislature for a number of years. 
they were uh, young, uh, coming along at roughly the same same time, sort of in a parallel time frame. Uh, they were Emerge sisters. I don't know if you know about Emerge, but they were part of that process, both of them. So I think uh, clearly they know each other. They uh, they probably have had a at least a friendly, cordial relationship. I, I'm not certain of that, but I, I wouldn't be surprised about that over the years. Um, and as far as I know, uh, Senator Cinema and Senator, Kel- uh, Senator Kelly get along uh, fine. Um, that doesn't mean that um, she's necessarily going to use any of her political capital to help him necessarily. Um, and as I said, given her uh, favorability rating amongst Democrats at the moment, um, that might be that might be a good decision that uh, Senator Kelly is happy with. Yes, uh, and and so we know there's other races besides these big two, and I may come back and ask a few questions about those. But for the t- um, meantime, I'm going to let Catherine uh, ask some questions about the governor's race, and then Tim about the U.S. Senate race, and then it may come back around to me. Catherine, okay. Hey, thanks for being on the show tonight, John. We really appreciate it, uh, especially Thank in the middle you, of the day. <laughs> um, so I've been looking a little bit at the Lake and Hobbs uh, race, and I, I'm just wondering what you think about this contra- well, I don't know if it's a controversy, this decision by um, Hobbs to not participate in the debate. And I will say, I will preface this by saying, after watching the debate between Herschel Walker and Reverend Warnock the other night, I can totally understand why a candidate would not want to participate in the debate. <laughs> but what do you think? What do you think? Well, is there I, an impact? Go ahead. Well, I, I know uh, I know Carrie Lake would certainly like to turn it into a controversy and, and have it be impactful. Um, I, w- I would say that, uh, you know, Secretary Hobbs, Katie Hobbs, uh, has a very good uh, understanding of how Carrie Lake would try to use a debate forum, a debate stage, um, in an inappropriate way. I mean, the the Republican gubernatorial um, uh, primary debate was just a it was just insane, um, and I have no doubt that Carrie Lake would turn would try to turn the general elect gubernatorial uh, debate into the same sort of um, craziness, and and I know Katie Hobbs feels the same way, which is why, you know, you you don't debate people who um, are just simply going to try to turn the stage into a into a circus. So I can understand I can understand Katie Hobbs' decision there. Um, you know, Carrie Lake is trying to turn it into a controversial thing, saying, you know, she's afraid to to, to debate and all of that, and I. I so far, I don't know whether that's received any real traction. It certainly has within the Cary Lake campaign, but I don't know if that's the way most voters see it. And so, how is the race going? What are what seem to be the what are the major issues that people are talking about that people are concerned about versus whatever the candidates are talking about? Are they the same, or are there differences in those? Well, I think the I think the you know the the talking points in the two campaigns, the uh, talking points within the electorate probably mirror uh, mirror the national mood, the the national 
um, topics. Um, you know, whether, you know, Katie Hobbs is obviously presenting uh, abortion rights, reproductive rights generally, and abortion rights specifically as an important issue, which it certainly is. Um, and she's pre- pre- uh, pointing out that uh, just simply uh, protecting democracy um, and, and not <laughs> saying you won't, you won't accept the results of elections that you don't like is also an important thing. So, you know, those are those mirror the sort of national uh, topics um, that are that are driving Democratic uh, turnout or Democratic enthusiasm across the country. Um, On Carrie Lake's side, you know, she's hammering away at the typical Republican talking points about the border and everything else. And it's, you know, you can say what you want to say, but I mean, Republicans have been in charge of this state for so long. um, If there's a problem with the border. Um, lay it at the feet of the Republicans who have been in power here for so long. Um, you know, blaming that on on uh, Katie Hobbs or anyone else is just simply disingenuous. It's ridiculous. So, um, you know, Republicans have their talking points, and they mirror the national talking points. Democrats have theirs. I think, um, you know, on the Democratic side, um, women's reproductive rights and uh, and uh, access to contraception, whether or not uh, elections are safe and secure and uh, respected by uh, the people in office, all of those things are important. And that's, those are things that Katie Hobbs is running on, um, as well as some, uh, uh, you know, bread and butter issues that uh, Republicans tend to ignore uh, when they favor tax cuts for the rich um, and they ignore sort of bread and butter issues for average everyday people. So I think those are the things Katie Hobbs has been talking about and and I see resonating with some of our voters. Well, that's good. I'm glad to hear that those are important issues, and it's glad, I'm glad they're resonating. Any other – I mean, I did he- read that um, Lake has said she – she hasn't said she won't accept the results, but she is confident that she's going to win, and then she will accept the results. How does that go <laughs> over in the <laughs> – I think that's a prime example of what Katie Hobbs has been talking about. It's like if you're if you're elected governor or secretary of state or whatever, you know, you, you, if you're if you're not willing to accept the results of an election, if you're not willing to accept the voters' will, um, you don't deserve to be in that office. And that's what you know Katie Hobbs has been saying. Um, you know, Carrie Lake just in the past uh, couple of days has has refused to say that she would accept the results of the election. Um, you know, she kept repeating a couple times, uh, you probably saw Dana Bash interview, she kept repeating that she would accept the results when she won. Uh, but right, she, yeah, that's what she I won't, thought. She won't, she won't admit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sure we're going to, we have some similar kinds of, uh, not quite that extreme, but, I'm sure we're up. We're, we'll see some craziness over here in Georgia. So maybe we can compare notes after the election. Let me pass it off to Tim for some more questions. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you, Catherine. Good evening, John. How are you tonight? Good evening, Tim. I'm fine. How are you? Very well, thanks. Um, um, David mentioned it, Arizona, Georgia, Georgia, Arizona. So I got to ask you right out of the gate before I ask you about the Senate race in particular. In recent elections, tickets 
splitting in this country has almost become unheard of. And you know what's going on here in Georgia, and yet that very thing may happen at the, with your two top races in Arizona. Why is that? Well, I think, you know, you're right. I think um, as the country has become more polarized, um, generally, ticket splitting has um, has certainly become much less a thing in the, of the past than it is currently. However, uh, in the 2020 election, um, Arizonans did ticket split um, to, to an extent. Um, you know, we, we voted for uh, President Biden and we voted for uh, Senator Kelly, uh, both at the top of the ticket. But at the same time, um, Republicans did very well um, almost everywhere else, um, including the uh, the recorders race here in Maricopa County, the largest county, two thirds of the vote in the state. Um, you know, the rec- Democratic rec- recorder um, actually lost his race. Um, so even though President Biden and uh, Senator Kelly both won Maricopa County. So I think Arizona voters have, um, you know, they have a reputation historically for being a little bit more independent than than some places. And I think that certainly did bear out in 2020 um, and and has over the past several cycles. You know, I, Mm -hmm. I, I hesitate to say that we may see the same thing again this time. Uh huh. Well, uh, I checked 538, um, their compilation polling, right before we came on the air. Lake's running about a point ahead, and Kelly is up by 6.3, which uh, is, is a lot this late in the game. If those two things are true, there are a good many Mark Kelly, Kerry Lake voters. I'm trying to wrap my head around that. <laughs> but you're on the ground in Arizona. Could you describe an average Mark Kelly, Kerry Lake voter? <laughs> um, you're you're trying to ask – you're asking me to try to define that strange unicorn creature. Um, <laughs> you know, I – I agree with you. That's what I said a moment ago, that I hesitate to say we may see the same thing happen here again with ticket splitting, um, where, mm-hmm. you know, Senator Kelly, as you mentioned, is has consistently polled ahead uh, of Blake Masters. And I think uh, Senator Kelly's election, unless there's some uh, some unforeseen that no one is uh, saying that no one is anticipating, I think Senator Kelly will be reelected. Um mm-hmm. You know, the Cary Lake-Katie uh, Hobbs race, that's been running neck and neck for quite some time now. And, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I've seen I've seen a few polls where Katie is barely ahead or Cary is barely ahead. And, you know, that's, a, that's, that's still too close to call, in my opinion. I, I think it may be slightly leaning for Lake at this point, um, but it, it's still very much too close to call. Um, and so to, to try to describe who would vote for uh, both Mark Kelly and Carrie Lake, it, it it stumps me as much as it stumps you. I, I'm not quite sure how that works, to be honest with you. 
I, I don't mm. see how people make that rationalization. In, in Mark Kelly's particular case, he, he's he's got a very good solid lead. I mean, that's outside the margin, well outside the margin of error in any poll, if the polls are fairly accurate. So is he that popular or is Blake Masters simply that bad of a candidate, or is it a combination of the two? <laughs> well, I think it's a combination of the two. I mean, Mark Kelly is, you know, he, he even though he's only been elected uh, once now, he's, he's got the power of incumbency now. He's a popular figure. Um, he's, he, you know, he's, he's got a good popular story. He's got a good narrative of, of where he came from, why he's in office. Um, you know, he's an, he's literally an astronaut. I mean, he, he's got a good story. Um, and he, and he's a good guy. And I think most people see him that way. Uh, Blake Masters, uh, comes across as, um, harsh, uh, unforgiving, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. hard driving and not in a particularly good way. And I think, uh, you know, it's just, it's an unflattering image. Uh, Blake Masters' uh, negatives are remarkably high for someone who's never held office. Um, He just has very, very high uh, negative uh, polling. And that's that's kind of remarkable. So I think in in Senator Kelly's case, yeah, he he does well. He polls well with people. He he has a good image. He has a good background and, and, and narrative and story. Um, and Masters just does not. And I think it's the combination of those two things that is almost certain to guarantee Mr. Uh, Senator Kelly's uh, re-election. Um, mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that's perhaps why there's a distinction there between the, the U.S. Senate race and the gubernatorial race. Um, mm-hmm. But but again, to get back to your how an average voter, and I Obviously, in the, the partisan camps, the Democrats are going to vote uh, both both for Demo- both for Kelly and and Hobbs, and the Republicans are going to vote for Masters and uh, and Lake. Obviously, what's what's up for grabs is the independent voter, and clearly uh, Kelly appeals more to the independent voters. I forget by how much. I think by two to one or something like that was the last I saw in polling. He Kelly appeals to independents by two to one more than Masters. Um, whereas Hobbs doesn't have quite that strength with independence. Um, and so it's more evenly divided for in the gubernatorial race. Hmm. Could, could final question, could, could Carrie Lake's celebrity be a part of that? I mean, she's well known, you know, in a previous lifetime, um, probably far, far better known than, than her opponent is. Do you think, and, and, you know, uh, Senator Kelly has, has a, large degree of celebrity as well. Do you think that's uh, drives some of it with the, how well both candidates have been running? Yeah, I think, I think that definitely does have something to do with it. Um, you know, Carrie Lake uh, was a newscaster uh, for, mm-hmm. I forget how many, how many years, but I think 15 years or something like that. Um, so she, she, you know, she was a broadcast news uh, person for, quite a long time. She's uh, well known. Um, she's telegenic. She's, she, you know, she presents well. Um, her, her, uh, her stands, on, her positions on things are fairly appalling if you actually 
go through them all, but she, you know, she presents well. Um, if she's not talking about specific position issues, she just looks good. She looks like a good candidate. She presents well. Um, she does have celebrity in the fact that she's a well-known, uh, well-known person uh, here and has been for quite a number of years. So, yeah, all of that certainly does help her, I'm, I'm sure, which, which is right. why, you know, I think the fact that they're running roughly even um, is, is a pretty good testament to how strong uh, Senator Ho- uh, Secretary Hobbs is running at, the, at this point. Okay. Well, John, I'm going to send it back to David right now because he's got a bunch of questions about some down-ballot races and congressional races to go over with you. Go, David. Well, thank yeah, you, sir. I, you have a good night. Actually, uh, yeah. And I had a follow-up question on each of the races. Uh, this summer, um, there was a documentary. It was more on Gabrielle Giffords. Um, she was the focus of the documentary. Uh, but I saw a piece on it, I think, on like CBS Morning News. Um, and I don't even know if it played um, really outside of Arizona or if it played in, in wide release outside of Arizona. But in Arizona, I thought it might. What can you tell me about the impact of that documentary? Well, I mean, I don't, I don't know if that documentary specifically had um, a lot of uh, a lot of impact. What it did, what we were just talking about a few minutes ago, it does obviously add to the celebrity factor, right? So, um, so Senator Kelly is well known. Um, he's an astronaut in his own right. Um, you know, his, his wife uh, was tra- tragically, the, the, the tragedy that befell his wife um, is well known in this state, um, Gabrielle Giffords. And so, uh, you know, all of that um, adds to uh, public awareness of Senator Kelly. And so I think it, uh, it certainly helped him, I'm sure. Um, but I think most people, most people in Arizona probably were aware of his story anyway. Um, so it, it just added to the celebrity factor or the, the, uh, the knowledge of knowledgeability factor, I guess, of the average voter. Um, but I think it was there to begin with, but it's sort of a very similar to the Carrie Lake having been well known for a long time. Um, Senator Kelly has been well known for quite some time now. I think it just added to that fact, added to that. Yes. Now, another one, and I sent you this just the other day and said I was going to ask about it. Um, apparently, um, Carly Lake has um, uh, is really gone after the University of um, – our Arizona State University. And in addition to her problems with the university itself – She's also going to clean the football team up by bringing in Urban Meyer. Um, I guess this is kind of a two-parter. One, how is all that play in going after the state's flagship university? And then second, is she even aware with what went down in Jacksonville with Urban Meyer's last tenure? <laughs> well, I, I have no idea whether she's aware of uh, what what transpired in Florida or not, uh, but uh, I will say that it, it shows an ignorance of the governor's role, right? So even if even if she were to be elected governor, um, it is not her position to uh, to clean house at one of the nation's largest public universities, um, and it would not be up to her 
um, to replace the president of the university uh, or to police the, the television station, the, the PBS station that is located at the, at the Walter Cronkite School of Communications on the university's uh, downtown Phoenix campus. So none of those things would be her purview as governor if she even were elected. Um, but, you know, that sort of thing never stopped Donald Trump either. So um, it's the same kind of bombastic, um, semi-fascist, at least, sort of rhetoric that, you know, when I'm in charge, I'm going to, you know, throw all these people out and I'm going to do whatever the hell we want. Um, it's the same kind of thing that, that, that Trump used to throw around. And it's, it's an ignorance of the role of the governor. I mean, the governor would have no, uh, would have no say over the, the PBS station here in Phoenix. Um, Yes. Well, we know that those uh, races are getting all the attention, but there are some other down-ballot races that are open seats, because we do know you have some incumbents running, too, and typically, unless they've gotten involved in a scandal, um, incumbents in down-ballot races are usually pretty safe in their state mine inspector role, uh, like there is in Arizona. But Secretary of State and Attorney General seem to be much more competitive races Give us your take on each of those. Well, you know, the, the Secretary, Secretary Hobbs, who Katie Hobbs, who is running for governor, is the current Secretary of State. So uh, in Arizona, as in many states, that's the, the state's chief election officer. Um, so that's the person who would be in charge of the, of the 2024 elections, both at the state and federal level. Um, so, so she's, you know, moving up, let's hope, to, to the governor's office. Um, that's an open, the open position, the Secretary of State. Uh, we currently have the Democrat is Adrian Fontes. He is the uh, former Maricopa County recorder who was the chief elections officer for Maricopa County with, you know, four and a half million people. It's the third largest, I believe it's the second or third largest voting jurisdiction in the United States. Um, and so he's running for Secretary of State on the Democratic side. Um, and he's received a lot of support from uh, Republicans even. Uh, because the Republican candidate, Mark Fincham, um, is an election den denier. Uh, he's an oath keeper. He's a three percenter. He was at the Janu he was actually at the Capitol on January 6th, um, and has stated that he would, de he, if he were elected, he would decertify the 2020 election, and he would not certify the 2024 election unless uh, the person that won uh, was to his liking. So, um, you know the. In the Secretary of State's race here, we have we have very much the microcosm of the divide in the United States right now. Of uh, Adrian Fontes, the Democrat, who's running almost as a nonpartisan, really saying, "Look, elections should not be partisan, and the will of the voters, the will of the people, should always be respected." And then you've got the Republican saying, "Look, we're going to throw out any results we don't like. Uh, we didn't like 2020." And by the way, I was at the January 6th insurrection. Big deal. Um, and, and so that's that's a pretty that's a pretty hefty uh, distinction between those two candidates. Yes, um, I'm just uh, as you're talking about these races, I'm looking at Mark Fincham's site. I don't know why anybody would want to buy 20 of his ball caps for $500, um, but he's teaching <laughs> to their own on that one. So. Um, it sounds like it's going to be just a fascinating night in Arizona and really an important night for the nation because 
in addition to that Senate race, which is going to help decide things, I think the governor's race is going to be pretty key um, and the um, Secretary of State's race as well for the 2024 uh, elections. Yeah, I, I would agree with you, and I think that's certainly – uh, on the Democratic side, that is certainly what we've been saying, that um, if you believe in the, the actual sanctity of elections where voters get to make the choice and politicians should respect those choices, um, then the choices are clear. Uh, Katie Hobbs for governor and Adrian Fontes for secretary of state. If you believe in all kinds of fantasy uh, stuff that never happened, that there's no evidence for, um, and you think that, you know, politicians should be able to pick and choose the winners, um, then you've got Carrie Lake and Mark Fincham who are uh, saying that openly. And it's like, you know, you should believe them when they say things. Uh, when they say that they're going to only certify elections that they agree with, I don't know, believe them. And if, if you think that democracy is more important than that, I think the choice is clear. Yes. Well, um, John, we want to thank you so much for coming on the show. If you'll leave our listeners with this, if they want to read your thoughts on Arizona politics, tell ways, either social media or otherwise, that they can um, read what you're thinking. Uh, yes, uh, they, can, uh, they can see my website at resolvetowin.org. That's resolve, uh, T-O-W-I-N, dot org. Um, and um, happy to – Happy to have people take a look at what we're up to. Absolutely. Well, John, thanks again for coming on the show. Thank you. Thanks, I, I want to thank you all for the opportunity, and uh, uh, let's all have a good election season. Thank you, yeah. sir. And you too. Thank you. Good night. Good night. Good night. That was John Ryder of Arizona, um, an activist from the you know Arizona uh, Phoenix area. And so just really tapped into that state that is just going to be just really one of the most critical um, Senate races at a minimum and then governor's races as well. Well, uh, we've got a little more time, and that's actually good because we're going to get into another topic. And it's something that we've been discussing for a while offline, and then we're going to bring it in. And we've had guests in the past, like John Delavolpe, talk about the youth vote. And we've seen polls and we've seen speculation that younger voters are going to turn out like they never have before, in particular for the Dobbs ruling in reaction to it. But then we got some um, hard data on vote, states that have started voting early from Michael McDonald, and it shows that younger voters are not turning out. Now, obviously, things could change both in the early vote and it could just be that younger voters are going to be more election day voters um, for whatever reason. Um, Catherine, um, what are your thoughts as on the based on the information we've seen and heard on what young voters are going to do? Well, I think it's pretty early to um, evaluate early voting um, data because it's just started in most places and hasn't started at all in some. So I think that's a little – uh, dangerous to jump to conclusions about that. I have been worried about this, but I I had a little bit of a um, someone just reminded me that there's a lot going on in the communities and in the activist communities and in the um, 
in the young people's communities that we just don't know about. Like, I'm just not that well connected, and I'm not convinced that the people who are doing the polling and the people, the pundits, I mean, most of the pundits we see on TV are way older than these young voters that we're talking about. So I, uh, I think that, I, I mean, I'm, I'm optimistic that we're going to be surprised that how much activity is going on sort of under the radar. I think there's a lot of fear, uh, like in a place like Georgia, about being too, um, too uh, outspoken about voting. Uh, and I think that there's just a lot going on sort of under the radar that we aren't aware of. Yeah, I will say this. Where I sent that tweet to y'all from was Michael McDonald, who, A, works with students at the University of Florida. This is somebody that's with 18 to 25-year-olds on a day-in and day-out basis, so he's not you know, detached from them. And two, he's usually not this panicky, but he said this chart will continue to haunt Democrats all the way through Election Day. Now, he was playing on the fact that it's the Halloween season. But, I mean, this is somebody that's the own early voting and works with this age group. Um, that didn't make me feel good, even though there are other metrics out there. Uh, Tim, your take. Well, I've, I've, you know, I've done something in every election for many, many, many years. I uh, I have seen young voters really compiling out to the polls and get excited in big numbers twice. And that's relatively recently. Um, Obama, they, they came. So they came because of a candidate. Then in 2020, they came in big numbers again, and that was because of the candidate, except this time they were opposing a candidate, Donald Trump. If they come this year, it would be because of issues. The Dobbs decision, uh, gun violence in schools and in public places, um, student loan forgiveness, tuition, those sorts of things. I'm very skeptical. Uh, first, their history, except for a couple of instances, indicate that they don't vote in big numbers. And secondly, I've never seen issues drive them to the polls. They had a great chance in 1968, guys. I know I'm going back a long way, but we had violence in the streets, we had a civil rights movement, we had that war raging in Vietnam, and they just, they didn't get engaged like they should have. And I saw, uh, you know, from, from my part of it, Democratic officials, you know, go to colleges. I, I even went with my brother to a, a, a local college there in Rome, Berry College, and I saw him stand in front of a room full of them and plead with them. And you could just see that it wasn't happening. So 
I, I'm skeptical, David. How about you? Well, one thing that I – and I think I said this to y'all is you know, when we do age ranges, and let's just take a different seven-year period. Let's compare a 43-year-old to a 50-year-old. Let's compare a 50-year-old to a 57-year-old. Are those people that different in a stage of life, their responsibilities? Probably not. 18-year-olds, those are people in the freshman year of college. 25-year-olds, and sometimes these things go to 29, those are people that could be married, probably have finished college, at least the ones that you know even got finished in five years, are into their first job, are really starting to live out on their own, and so they're in a completely different stage of life. And so what I would like to see is I would like to see this data aggregated out and what are 18 to, say, 22-year-olds, the ones that are still on the college campuses, what are they doing? And then what are the ones that are out of college doing? And then I, I would love – I mean, I would just love more more data that I thought plausible. There are a lot of people that don't go to college. What are the ones that are, went straight into the workforce doing? Um, you know, how are these rates of turnout impacting and happening? Because um, that's – and it takes a lot of planning. Because sometimes these people don't live where they're registered, therefore they're going to have to plan to go back home. Could be a day's car ride. Could be much further in some cases. Could have had to request an absentee ballot. People at this age are not as much of a planner, preparation person as the same people will be 10, 20, 40 years down the road. And it's just a stage of life thing. Um, but And so it's just going to be really critical to see, and that's why if I were a candidate, I wouldn't put my entire um, candidacy in this basket by any means. And I think but, a lot of folks are saying, hey, the younger voters will save us. I think I'd want to have two or three safety plans personally. Yeah, Catherine, but, your thoughts on all that? Oh, well, go, Tim, you got something to say first. Tim and then Well, I, I actually was going to ask Catherine a question. <laughs> you know, okay. David, you and I live a far different place than Atlanta. Catherine is right in the middle of Atlanta, and the average person, not just voter, but the average person in that city is a lot younger than they are in a county like mine. And my question to Catherine is, does she see any evidence that, Younger voters in Atlanta are excited to get out and vote this year. Are they involved? Well, I know that there's a lot, a, a lot going on. I, there's a lot of, um, you know, election activities. There's a lot of, you know, phone calling and canvassing, and a lot of, you know, a lot of people doing a lot of things. I, you know, honestly, I work remotely from home. I don't go, I'm not out in the streets very much. But I do get a sense that there's this sort of rumbling uh, out of my sort of uh, radar that there's some excitement. Um, I hope I'm right. I hope I prove you all wrong. But I agree that I don't think any candidate should count on that, nor should they count on any specific 
um, demographic. They need to be, you know, reaching all the demographics. So um, I just think this is one of those times, like every time, that we just have to make sure that everyone votes. Yeah, Catherine, if there is that level of excitement, it, what's driving it? Would it be, say, the Dobbs decision or something like that? I think the Dobbs decision is has, is very important and one of the things. I also think that um, student debt and the cost of higher education is uh, very high on people's minds. And that's not just student level, student age people, but also parents, not just parents who have kids that are about to go to college, but also, you know, parents who are have young children and are thinking about the future. Um, so I think that's a, a, an issue that is important to a larger demographic than we might expect. And, well, of course, right. you know, everybody worries about the economy and jobs and the environment. So I think all those things are on people's minds. But I think jobs and college education are um, not just college education, but just higher education uh, are all important. Yeah, and I'll go ahead and tell any parent that wants to listen, if you want to advocate for lower cost, don't focus, unfortunately, on the tuition. Focus on the room and board, the housing. That in the state of Georgia is where the problems lie. If, you, if your students go and get the HOPE grant, the, the class time gets taken care of. Even if you don't do that, the, the actual tuition is not that bad. It's the housing that has not been planned for so many of our colleges. I mean, not just the new growing ones like the Kennesaws and the Georgia States, but even UGA, the oldest um, school in the states, have housing issues. And so then people have to look for private housing, and that drives the sky high. That's just a little public service announcement, and neither of the governor's candidates I've heard has said a lot about that, and and they both really should get on to that. Um, but let's, well, that's all that um, that's, that ties right into um, you know affordable housing. I mean, that's yeah, a big it does. issue that we all yeah, you know it, it does. All, um, it, well, it, the, the fact that you haven't planned for it in one stage of life, we haven't planned for it in another. It, it's just not been planned for in any way, shape, or form. I have so much more to say about turnout. Luckily, we've got a few more shows um, before this election, so we can get into some of this later. But we, you can look at Twitter and see all of our lineup through Election Day. But next week, we're going to have our first three-guest show, and we went with some veterans for this. So I think it's going to go really, really well and give you information from across the country. Mike Mitkus is going to come in and tell us about Pennsylvania. Dr. Michael Bitzer is going to come in and talk about that North Carolina race, which I think is highly underrated under the radar, and some other congressional races. And then to end the show that night, Wisconsin, who has both a governor and a Senate race, just like we do in Arizona, just like we do in Georgia, he's going to finish off the night next week. So it's going to be a three-guest night with some of our best guests talking about their home states. So... Till then, Scuddy Vine. Good night, y'all. Good night. Good night, everybody. We are the heirs of that first revolution with a strong.